This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Today we're going to continue our four-week look at the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Uh, we have Bibles we'd love to give to you. But we're studying this prayer and seeking to learn about what Martin Luther and John Calvin both said was the most wonderful thing in all of Scripture when the Lord taught us how to pray. And uh, what a joy it's been to study this together. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 9. This is God's sufficient authoritative word. Jesus said, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our, particularly focus, our particular focus this morning is going to be verse 10. When Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think the, the main point, the reason Jesus teaches us to pray like this is so it would be our joy to orient our lives to God and God's purposes. In early September <clears throat> 2019, Colonel Rick Rescorla received the posthumous award of the Presidential Citizens Medal, the nation's second highest civilian award. In 1993, Rick was the head of security for Morgan Stanley and the World Trade Center Towers when they were attacked by a truck bomb. He believed that no doubt one day the towers would be attacked again. He, he recognized their threat to attack by terrorists. And so he gave himself to relentless planning and execution of evacuation plans for his people. He had regular drills. These are thousands of employees. They spanned over 40 floors of the South Tower of the World Trade Centers. Needless to say, the people were very, the employees were very annoyed by Rick. They didn't enjoy going down the stairs in a buddy system. He was relentless, though. Over and over again, they trained. He'd actually served in Vietnam. There he was a platoon leader in the Battle of La Drang, which the, the book and the movie We Were Soldiers was based on. He, he was actually featured on the cover of the book, a picture of him in that battle moving forward with courage. He was known for that by his men. He was known for being cool under fire. He was born in Cornwall, England before he joined the U.S. Army. 
And his men remembered hearing him singing Cornish, Celtic songs, military songs, even in the midst of the worst of the fighting, all to steal his, his uh, resolve and his men's resolve to fight. Well, in the chaos of the stairwells, on September 11th, 2001, Colonel Rick Riscorla was singing again. Those same military tunes as he led his co-workers and friends down to safety. The authorities had actually told them, stay in place. When the first plane hit, they told him to stay in place. But Rick knew the risk. He'd run the drills. He was committed to this cause, to rescue his people. And that's exactly what he did. He got them down the stairs. At one point in the midst of this, a friend called him, one who had served along with him in Vietnam, and was telling him, leave the towers, get out of there. But Rick's reply was, I've got more people to take care of. And he went back up the stairs, breaking off into song again. Minutes later, the South Tower collapsed. But 2,700 people were rescued because of his efforts. It's why he was rewarded and recognized. He was committed to this cause. As Christians, as those who belong to the Lord, we have the incredible opportunity to commit our lives to the greatest cause in the universe. The kingdom of God. And as we do, I think just like Rick, I think we'll be a singing people. Because it's the pathway to joy. That's what our Lord is teaching us to pray. He's not just teaching us how to pray. He is that. But He's teaching us what to love. He's teaching us what to prioritize. What to center our lives on. The main point today is this. The pathway to joy is to orient your life to God's purposes. And three points this morning. The first two will look at what is Jesus teaching us to pray in this verse? And then the last point is looking at why. What's He getting at? So point one. What's He teaching us to pray? Point one. To want His reign to increase on the earth. Your kingdom come. John Stott, a commentator, says true Christian prayer is always a preoccupation with God and His glory. That's what Bill showed us last week at the beginning of this prayer. It's how it begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. May Your name be made holy in all the earth. That's the prayer. And everything else flows out of that Petition for God to be made much of in all places. And you, you can't pray that prayer without recognizing that in our world, in the kingdom of this world, so often God's name is not hallowed. It is not made much of. It is not rejoiced in or celebrated. This is a world and kingdom that is opposed to God. And so we pray, Lord, Your kingdom Come. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, it's where God's rule and His presence are known and loved. 
and celebrate it. That's the kingdom. And the, and the kingdom is what Jesus came to usher in. In the beginning of Matthew's gospel, it makes, he makes it so clear, Jesus is the king. Jesus the king has come. When Jesus began his ministry, he was teaching, Mark 1 says, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He brought the kingdom of God. And God's people had longed for it. That's why the time was fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Christ because He was the fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies and promises that God was going to establish His kingdom one day. Jesus came to bring it. He brought love for God. The transforming power of the Gospel to cause hearts to love God's reign. To rejoice in God's rule. That's the work He came to accomplish. And so He teaches us to keep praying, Your kingdom come. See, He began it, but it's not done yet. Jesus wasn't the king they expected. See, the, the, the disciples expected a conquering political ruler. They even asked Him in Acts after He rose from the dead, So now, Lord, now are You going to bring about Your kingdom? Are You going to usher in Your kingdom? Establish Your kingdom? They were still thinking politically. But the kingdom Jesus came to bring is so much greater than that. Colossians 1 says He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And just like Colonel Rescorla said, He's got more people to take care of. He's not done yet. There are more to be rescued from sin and darkness. So we pray, Lord, may Your kingdom come. Establish Your reign and Your rule in the hearts of more and more people. Expand Your kingdom. You can't pray this prayer without thinking about the Gospel going forth in power to change lives and our participation that we get to enjoy in it. So when you pray, how often are you thinking about the, the expanding of the kingdom, the, the, the Gospel going forth, the spread of the Gospel, for it even to spread in your own heart that you'd love it more, that you'd bask in its reality in greater ways that, that you'd live in the good of it. Pray for the Gospel to go forth in your family. For to spread in our church in greater ways, we love the Gospel more and more in our city, in our county, our state, our nation, our world. This is, this is an all-inclusive missionary prayer that the Gospel would succeed and bring about faith. This, this is the privilege we have as a church. We're people who pray for and proclaim the kingdom of God. Come in Jesus Christ. So let's pray for that. Like Mike announced, the forum starts in just a few weeks. Let's pray God's kingdom would come. As VFC starts back this week, let's pray God's kingdom would come. In all of our efforts as a church, Jesus began the the sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their need for Him, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
The church is where God's kingdom is on display. We love His rule. We love His reign. We celebrate. That's what the church is all about. We're not primarily, the church is not primarily about societal reform. We're not seeking to create heaven on earth in our acts to transform society. We're seeking to be an outpost of heaven. A place where God's rule is loved and we're praying, God, come expand this. Make your glory known. In the second book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the Telmarines, the kingdom of people that are opposed to Narnia, they, they hate Narnia, they hate the Narnians, they've come and taken over, they hated the sea. They were afraid of the sea. And they would intentionally avoid it. They would tell their children scary stories about the sea so that they wouldn't venture off and explore it. They would build their towns far inland to stay away from the sea. Why? Because Aslan, the true king of Narnia, always came from the sea. And he was going to come again. But the Narnians, though they were despised and rejected and often lived in hiding. They loved the sea. They always looked to the sea. They, from it, they eagerly awaited their king to return. This is the longing of our hearts. Come, Lord, establish your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That phrase, on earth as it is in heaven, it, it applies to all three of the first petitions. That God's name be hallowed. That His kingdom would come. That His will would be done all like it is done in heaven, here on earth. Our King Jesus will not stop expanding His kingdom till that day when He comes. And that day is coming. So this is not just a prayer for the Gospel to go forth. It is. And we ought to pray that. But it's also a prayer for Jesus to come and to come soon. Revelation 11 says the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ. That's what's coming. And He shall reign forever and ever. So we pray, Lord, let Your kingdom come. And you know, when we pray that, we recognize it's the Lord's kingdom we want, not our own. When I first started out in pastoral ministry about 10 years ago, Bill assigned us to read this book called On the Brink, Grace for the Burned Out Pastor. It was written by a guy who had been in ministry for a number of years, but he was, he'd grown weary. He was thinking of quitting until he found himself beside a stream in the Smoky Mountains with his Bible and a few books. One of them, I think, was C.J. Mahaney's Cross-Centered Life. It's just a good equation for spiritual revival, by the way. But I was reading this book and actually took it to the dentist for an appointment. And I remember he saw it uh, on the brink, Grace for the Burned Out Pastor. And I remember he looked at it and he looked at me. He's like, didn't you just start? <laughs> Really? One chapter's always stuck out to me from that 
book, and it's entitled, Which Kingdom Come? And in it, he's talking about the dangers of building our own kingdom as opposed to God's. One one that's been designed by our own desires. And he says when we do this, what happens is we put our trust in its success and we demand its consummation now. We want to be in control. It steals our joy when we build kingdoms for ourselves to satisfy our own hearts. But when by the grace of God, He frees us to joyfully submit our lives to His kingdom. The building of His kingdom. Not to make a name for ourselves, but to participate with Him in the work that He is accomplishing. It changes everything. Our joy is not based on performance, but on His. Our success is not based on the fruit of our efforts, but in His. And our peace comes from knowing Him. So many problems in my life come from trying to build something for myself. The Lord's inviting us to participate in what He's doing. Oh, may He give us grace to be most excited about this. His kingdom come. It's the kindness of God we get to participate. So Father, may Your kingdom come. Establish Your reign on earth as it is in heaven. And as Hebrews exhorts us, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. That's what he's teaching us to pray. Secondly, the second thing he teaches us to pray is to love and give ourselves to his will. To love and to give ourselves to his will. Kevin DeYoung In his book on the Lord's Prayer that many of you have been reading this week, he says this, In prayer, we are not instructing God as much as we are instructing ourselves. And how true is this when we pray to God, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. It's the next logical step to praying for God's kingdom to come. Because when His kingdom comes, when His rule and His reign are loved and celebrated in the hearts of men, then His will will be done. Think about this for just a minute. What's going on in heaven? What's the disposition of the heavenly beings and those who are in heaven? Perfect obedience. I mean, unfailing allegiance to Christ. The worship and praise of God Almighty. Everyone recognizing who He is and what He's done. There's no question. It's a beautiful, glorious thing. Everyone and everything is waiting upon God and anxious to glorify His name. Just think of the angels just standing ready at at your word, Lord, eager to do his will. Actually, their supreme desire is to do the will of God. It's what they live for. The difference between that reality and ours here is not that God is not sovereign here. The difference is that every single command is obeyed and fulfilled with cheerful obedience there. And so that's what we're praying. Lord, may that happen here. 
May that be the case here. Cheerful and full obedience to our King. What is the will of God? The emphasis of this prayer is on His commands. Obedience to His commands. What He desires. And that we would live the way God commands us to live. May your will be done, Lord, in my life and in the lives of those around me. Often, when we think of the will of God, we get troubled about this question. What is God's will for me? And, and oftentimes what we mean by that is what, what vocation is God calling me to? Or what decision is He calling me to make? Or a path for my life? But before we jump there, we should consider what really is the will of God? What does He mean? In other words, we should start with what God has revealed is His will for us. What does His Word say? Remember Matthew 7? Not everyone who says to me, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of God. So it's important to know, well, what is that will? Heaven hangs on the doing the will of God. So we need to know what it means, but I, I don't think he's talking about make sure you work a specific job or marry a specific person. The will of God is found in the Word of God. Jesus says, whoever the, hears these words of mine and does them. That's the will of God. Maybe that's overly simple. But I think it's crucial for us to remember and grasp and think on. We, we don't want to be more concerned about what job we're supposed to have or what decision we're supposed to make, a decision that's coming down the road. We don't want to be more concerned about than we are about our daily Christian obedience to Christ, delighting ourselves in Him and His Word, living for His kingdom. It's far better to know and obey that will, His will for our lives, what's been made clear in His Word, than to have great insight into our circumstances or situation and neglecting this will. And I think the promise He holds out for us is as we pursue God's will for us that we know, that He's made clear in His Word, He'll lead us to His will for us that we don't know. But we need the Spirit's help to pray like this and to pursue this. So to pray for God's will to be done, what are we praying? We're praying that God's commands would be obeyed and loved. What He desires for His creation would come to pass. Romans 12 tells us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As God's kingdom expands in our hearts, we're going to love His will more and more. That's what will be after. You know, it doesn't take the Spirit to want to be healed of a sickness. It doesn't take the Spirit to want good things to happen in our lives. It does take the Spirit to pray God-centered, God-focused, God-exalting, God-prioritizing prayers like this and actually mean them. Actually have our lives oriented to them. But the Spirit loves to do that in the lives 
of his people. That's mature Christian faith. Mature Christian faith is praying. Every human heart would gladly submit to and delight in the will of God. But may it start with us first. In fact, it must start with us first. My own heart, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. How important is a prayer like this in the midst of suffering? How important is, is a prayer like this in the midst of confusion and, and lack of clarity? How important is this prayer when you're unsure of a decision? You know, we're not praying for God to accomplish our will. We're praying for Him to accomplish His and for our hearts to fall behind it, to love it, to desire that His will be done. I want to trust You, Lord. I want to be faithful. I hope you see the wisdom of our Savior. Because how can we pray like this? Genuinely, how can we pray like this? Unless we know God's heart for us. Unless we know that His will is good, acceptable, perfect. You can't do this unless we know God is not just God Almighty. He's our Father. Which is why this is where the prayer begins. So, so do you feel any hesitation to pray like this? Is there any resenting in your heart or, or lack of faith to pray, your will be done? Would you rather be praying, Lord, just make sure you know, my will is yours. Let's make them the same. Jesus is teaching us not only how to pray, but how to orient our lives. Remember, God's commands, like the prophetic word this morning, they're not burdensome as we submit to his good and perfect will. Jesus, he, you see his wisdom. So often when we pray, where do we typically begin? I recognize that in myself even this week during prayer week. What's just the natural inclination where to begin? Me. My needs, my problems, my wants. Self. And that's the nature of sin. The nature of sin is love for self. It's preoccupation with self. Jesus knows this. And even as believers, we're tempted this way. So he teaches us. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter the reason for our prayer, we must start with the worship of God. I mean, that's radical. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus loves our requests. He loves us to cry out to Him with our needs and our burdens. And He isn't saying every time you go to pray, you need to start with five minutes of praise before you get to whatever you're praying for. I remember I started, I was doing that a lot with my family. And I remember my brother looking at me one time uh, before a meal because they, they asked me to pray. And he just said, could you just thank the Lord for the food? <laughs> just keep it simple. The point is, he's not giving this, us this mandatory, mandatory word count for prayer. He, he's laying down a principle. He's teaching us a heart disposition. We want our greatest desire and priority, the orientation of our lives, not to be the food we need, but the spread of the glory in the kingdom of God. The trusting in His will. Biblical prayer begins at its root. At its motivation, not with requests, but with worship. 
And this is not into, in order to neglect our needs. No, it puts our needs in their right perspective. Like when Jesus said later on, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Our Lord is just emphasizing here that before we begin to think of our own personal needs and desires, we should have this burning desire within us for the coming of His kingdom. That the name of God may be glorified and magnified over all. Is this your greatest desire? Truly. Does this, kind of, does this way of praying, does it come to you as a welcomed, joyful request? Or is there any fear or resistance or hesitation? One thought, if you, if you have a hard time just fully praying this way, thinking about prayer like this, maybe it would be good to spend more time meditating on God's heart for you. God is your heavenly Father. Think about what does He do? You could study His attributes. His love and His wisdom and His glory. You could read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, and learn just how wonderful and great of a God He is. Bask in the good news of the Gospel. What we just sang this morning, he, this is what He does. He takes a barren place and makes it a spring. That's the kind of God we love and serve. That will motivate our hearts to pray, Your kingdom come, O Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lastly, why pray these things? What, what, what's Jesus after? Where is He taking us? What's His goal? And I think ultimately it's that we'd experience the joy and freedom of being God-centered. I was going to read this quote again. Bill used it last week from John Piper. I thought it was so good for explaining this. This is John Piper. He says in the Lord's Prayer, we are asking that God would do whatever He must do so that His name is revered and esteemed and cherished in the world. We are asking that His spiritual kingdom come in the hearts of people. If this is the lodestar in the constellation of our prayers, then all other requests will have their proper place. Every request even for daily bread, is really a concrete way of asking that God's name and will and kingdom take the supreme place in our hearts. That's what we're after. It's what we want. It's what we need. It's why I think Luther and Calvin said this teaching was the greatest thing in Scripture. When we orient our lives to God and to His purposes, there's freedom. There is peace that comes even in the midst of difficulty. There's joy in the midst of sorrow. We're not building our own kingdom. We're not striving for our own will. We are gladly submitting ourselves to His, and we know that His is good. Even this very week, we had some things going on in our family, some medical issues, and... In the midst of it, though, I was struggling with fear. I was battling fear. It so served my soul over and over again to rehearse, Lord, not my will, but Yours be done. 
And I know your will is good. And so I can submit to it. Help me do that. Help me love your will. Help me gladly submit to your will. Jesus is teaching us to be God-centered, and it's so freeing. He's not giving us a chant to go through every time we pray. That's how me and my brothers thought about the Lord's Prayer growing up. We grew up Episcopalian. We had it memorized. We recited it every Sunday. We would race each other to see how fast we could get through the Lord's Prayer. That's not the point of it. He's instructing us how to live, what to love, what to prioritize, what to long for, what to desire. His kingdom, His glory, His will to be done. And in His kindness, the interest of the kingdom and your best interests, they're not opposed to one another. Your best interests are in God's kingdom. And so as we give God's concerns our greatest priority in prayer, we see everything else like we are. You know, if he was a God primarily concerned with making us happy, that would inform our prayers. That's where we'd go. But if he's a God primarily concerned with the making known of his own glory, with the establishment of his praise over all the earth, then that's where we go in our prayer life. Because we know Him as He is. And that in turn is our joy. John Stott again says this, If He really is our Father in heaven, the personal God of love and power fully revealed by Jesus Christ, Creator of all, who cares about the creatures He has made and the children He has redeemed, then and then only does it become possible, indeed essential, to give His concerns priority and to become preoccupied with His name, His kingdom, and His will. We have been rescued from self to serve the living God to live for Him, to obey Him, to worship Him, who is our heavenly Father, who knows our needs, and who wields His almighty power over heaven and earth to bring about good in our lives. That's why we pray, Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done. And do it with joy. So let's pray for that. Let's make this the first and the utmost aim in our lives, we want to see God's kingdom come and His will be done. It's going to change the direction of our lives. It's going to orient our course. How? Well, if God's kingdom and glory is your greatest desire, then you will stop building kingdoms for yourself. You will stop pretending or envisioning yourself as God over your own world and seeking for control of your own world, and you'll submit your life to His. Your your joy will be based not on you getting the things done you want to get done in your kingdom. Your joy will be based in the Lord's providence and His work. It'll affect everything. It's going to inform how you think about raising your kids. It'll inform your concerns for your kids. You won't be concerned primarily with their behaviors. 
You're going to be concerned primarily with their loves, their desires, their, their worship of God, their hearts. It's going to inform your relationships. You're going to be less concerned about being approved of by other people or just wanting to be liked. You're going to be concerned about their love for Christ, their submission to His kingdom, their eagerness for His will, their relationship with the Lord. You will prioritize less your own desires and wants and think more about God's glory and purposes. You know, the greatest problem in our world is not that people sin, as bad as sin is. The greatest problem in our world is that people do not love and worship God. And yet, in His kindness and grace, Jesus is at work, causing more and more people to come to know Him. And He's called us to participate. But there is a cost. As incredible as the reward is, there is a cost. We lose ourselves. We lose our lives to find them in Him. And Jesus modeled this for us, didn't He? In the Garden of Gethsemane, before enduring the cross and the wrath of God for sin, Jesus prayed saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in praying that prayer, Jesus didn't just model for us the call of the Christian. He did it on our behalf. He didn't just pray for God's will to be done. He gladly accepted it for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, dying for our sin, and rose again for our justification, also that we today might not only pray with Him, Your will be done, but that we might give our lives to God's purposes in glad submission to who He is, the hallowing of His name, the expanding and the coming of His kingdom, the, lovingly, the loving embrace of His will. It's a joy to know Him. It's such a joy to gladly orient our lives to Him. And may we so know Him, know him and, and love His purposes that our blazing passion would be the whole world comes to know Him and submit to Him too. Let's pray for that. Lord, we thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in such a way that, we really, that it really is a joy to pray these things. We thank You that You are good, that You are almighty, that You are everlasting, and that You are building Your kingdom. And so with great faith and expectation, Lord, we pray Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be exalted in our hearts, in this church, in this city, in greater and greater ways throughout the world. God, make Yourself known. May Your kingdom come. Expand Your reign and Your rule to more and more people. And Lord, give us the great joy and peace 
in submitting our lives to your purposes gladly because you are our heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Zach Varnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.